Father, we glorify you and we magnify you and we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your mercy that endures forever and ever and ever. For you are so very good and your mercy endures forever and ever and ever. Lord, you are so very good and your mercy endures forever and ever and ever. We thank you for that, Father. And we thank you for your holy written word that's a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. And we thank you tonight, Lord, that you'll give us direction, you'll give us information, revelation, and impartations of the Holy Ghost. And Father, we glorify you in advance for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm glad you made it tonight. Glad you made it. You know, the, the Lord said to me the first of this year, it'd be a year of, of great deception where the enemy would try to come against the body of Christ in a way <coughs> like we have not experienced in a while, but that don't mean we have to be afraid of the devil. You understand? Amen. At all. Amen. The Lord teaches us what to do and shows us what to do, and you've got total authority over the enemy. So... Instead of reading all the scriptures, let's just go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to start right there, if it's all right with you. And I don't know what you folks are trying to do to me up here. You know, when I came, it was warm. And I think my dear brother Jordan here a while ago said the windshield was negative 6. So... I know y'all, y'all trying to take me out, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. <laughs> so, somehow, I'm going to make it. Can I tell you that about my pastor friend, Pastor David, they called me that time. He's a good friend of mine, and I was going through tests and trials back years ago. Like I never have tested trials now, you know, but especially back then I was really going through it. And a pastor, a good friend of mine, called me. And, of course, I needed to hear a word from somebody, you know. He called me and said, Brother Andy. I said, yes, Pastor Dave. He said, uh, Pastor David Coker was his name. I said, uh, how you doing? He said, I wanted to call and tell you. He said, I was praying for you today. The Lord told me to pray for you. And he said, I met a devil that was so big in the spirit. He said, I ain't going to mess with him. <laughs> he said, but I want to tell you, you're going to make it. But I just don't know how. <laughs> and then he and I both burst out laughing. You know what I mean? We knew how through God. That's the only way. And that's kind of what he was saying. So we know that the enemy tries to bring deception, seducing spirits, and doctrines of devils. So let's just start out. This has been our keynote verse kind of in this particular meeting. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, so we said here and pointed out that it's not the Apostle Paul's ideas or ideology or theology. This is something that the Spirit of God said and Paul's just repeating it. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, which denotes a specific period of time, which is where we're at now, the latter times, he said, some shall depart from the faith. Aren't you glad he didn't say all? Come on. Some shall depart from the faith. How? Giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Isn't that right? Oh, by the way, too, I looked outside and I thought it was a glory coming down and it was snow. <laughs> so I, I was in the Spirit, you know. Uh, it's snowing outside for those of you that may be watching by live stream when I come up here it was warm and now they're trying to kill me they say <laughs> we're going to make it but you know me and side journeys right would you, would, would you go with me on a side journey before we, we go this way turn to Romans something or another you got to know by the Holy Ghost where we're going. In the book of Romans. We'll get there in a minute. Romans chapter 10 is where we're going. And while you're going there, 
Why don't you stop off, if you're in the back, you'll stop off at Ephesians chapter 2, then we get to Romans chapter 10. We're just taking a side journey by direction of the Lord. Because we don't want you to be seduced out of the goodness and mercy and love of God. Because some of the things that I have been saying is kind of tough, it's kind of hard. It kind of makes people think about things. But I want to tell you tonight for just briefly a little bit how much God loves you. And how much God cares about you. In, in relation to all this other, because, you know, when you hear just one side of a message in the Bible, we need the whole truth in the yes. New Testament. Yes. If you hear just one side all the time, you can get to, out of balance. Yes. And there's one thing about Dad Hagen, he was a very balanced individual. In fact, as far as I know, he was the most balanced minister that I knew, and I'm not put, putting down anybody else. He'd always bring everything back to the center, so <laughs> that's what to do. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 on your way to Romans chapter 10. And let's look at verse number 8. Because <clears throat> I got on grace pretty hard this morning, didn't I? If you was here. If you wasn't here, don't get the recording. Don't you go back and listen at it or nothing. If you do, you'll have to get under the chair or bench or somebody have to chain you up. But I got on the greasy grace, and I tell you, what, you thought it come from Singapore, but it didn't. It come from Huntsville, Alabama, by way of Singapore, and it went to the world. And it was false doctrine. It's still false doctrine today. It always will be a false doctrine. And if you don't believe that, when you go to heaven with me, when Jesus stands there, he's going to tell you it's false doctrine. Yeah. And I told you how evil spirits, seducing spirits, started that false doctrine, how they took advantage of the person that originally started it. And then the second one in line, how the devil took advantage of them through their soul, to their mind, their will and emotions. Remember, yeah. the devil cannot take you over against your will. He's got to have a willing vessel. So what he does, he works on people for years and years and years, if necessary, to get them willing for him to take advantage. But anyway, let's look at this verse. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8. It says, for by what? Grace. Grace. Are you saved through faith? And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Isn't that right? For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself, because why? It is the gift of God. So I want you to know that I believe in grace. And I believe if it wasn't for what Jesus Christ done, and you believe the same thing, whether you know it or not, you believe this. As a Christian, that Christ paid the penalty for my salvation, and there was nothing that I could do in myself to be saved. Because all my righteousness was as filthy rags, and before you get mad at me, all your righteousness is as filthy rags also. And that's the truth. So by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Isn't that right? It's a gift of God. So Christ did, Jesus Christ, come and he came to earth and he paid the penalty for our sins. So in a sense of speaking, you don't earn your salvation, you receive your salvation. But now the balance of it is this. When you are, are born again, then there should be a change in your lifestyle. And, and, and what, what is called the, un, I call it unbi, unbiblical grace message. The unbiblical grace message just basically goes too far to the extremes that says that you don't have to confess your sins. You basically can go along. You're already forgiven. It don't matter what you do. And, and that's a half-truth. You know what I mean? But you've got to confess your sins to the Lord if you're, if you're a Christian. But uh, he said, by grace are you saved through faith. So Christ is the one that, that paid for my salvation. For, so there was nothing I could do to earn it. And there was nothing that you could do to earn it either. Christ gave it to you when you receive him as your Lord. But when you receive as your Lord, you get born again. For instance, one moment I'm driving down the road. I'm headed down to Galveston, Texas. I came out of Baytown, Texas. And I was headed down there, and we was headed to commit a robbery. I was in prison for armed robbery. And uh, I was on my third escape from prison. I had a pastor in Michigan ask me one time, why did you escape three times? I said, I didn't get it right the first time. Didn't get it right the second time, but I finally got away the third time. And, of course, it was a miserable existence. It may sound fun, but it, but it wasn't. But uh, one moment, I'm driving down the road and on escape from prison. I had two people in this van that I was driving. 
going to commit a robbery, get money, and I was going to get uh, illegal papers and uh, say that I was somebody that I wasn't. ID, driver's license, birth certificates, and if you know the right people, you can do a lot of things. In fact, you probably do it right on the internet today. Don't tell the police officer. <laughs> In fact, I don't even think you got to have an ID. Just go south and come across the border. You know what I mean? Now, you got to have ID to do anything. But if you go down to the border, you can just come on across, you know. And I'll leave that for Pastor Jerry. You know, he wants to talk about that. So, but anyway, it's through the mercy and grace of God that God gave us the gift of salvation. So if you confess Jesus as your Lord, let's turn to Romans chapter 10, which he's trying to get to. Romans chapter 10. Why am I doing this? The Lord just kind of prompted me because I've been kind of hard on, you know, some of these messages is kind of tough. Some of the things I say. You know what I mean? But so you've got, you got to have a balance to it. God loves you. Yeah. Romans chapter 10. How are you saved? He said, by grace are you saved through faith. Isn't that right? Yeah. But what faith is he talking about? In other words, I've got to reach out and take what Jesus done for me. How do you do that? And this is simpli- simplistic, but we all need to know this. Romans chapter 10 verse 8 says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, or near you, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, what shall happen? Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, your innermost being, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made of salvation. In other words, what you're doing is you are receiving the grace of God, receiving what Jesus done for you, and you're confessing it with your mouth, and you're submitting your life to the Lordship of Jesus, and your life no longer belongs to you anymore. It belongs to Him. And that's why I ran from God for years. Because I I found out that uh, He just didn't want me to preach the gospel. He wanted me. Well, I'd preach for him, but I, I didn't want to give him me. So I ran from him for years. But thank God, on that third escape from prison, driving down the road, I got to a road and I had to turn right. I could turn right at this particular, back then it was a stop sign, now it's a traffic signal. Galveston, Texas is, is an island, you know. The only way on and off the island is through a bridge or uh, through a ferry. And somebody told me recently that is still running where you can put your car on a ferry and go out to the Galveston Island that's there. And, uh, but anyway, when I got down to where we, I should have turned left to go to commit this robbery, all of a sudden I had this sense come over me. I don't know, I, you want to call it a feeling, but it was spiritual. You know what I mean? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't in the emotional realm, even though it affected my emotions. It was a spiritual experience. And I had this... Uh, dark foreboding kind of come. And, and I just sensed that if I turned left to go to commit this robbery, that that would be the end of my life. And it would be over for me. I had praying mama, praying daddy, and, and all kind of stuff, you know. Mama, can I tell you a story about mama and daddy? You know, both of them's in heaven. But uh, mama, you know, she used to walk the floor and worry, you know. She was a world champion warrior, a good Pentecostal lady. She wouldn't know where I was at. I'd be gone for weeks and months and out of my mind. And uh, she'd walk the floor and worry. She told me about this experience. She said one night she thought I was dead in the ditch and the devil just give her pictures of me being dead, you know. And, and, and I was mama's baby. It don't matter how big you are. 240 pounds, six foot four, you still mama's baby. <laughs> you always be mama's baby. I can tell you that now. But uh, she said that she got to thinking about my daddy. My daddy was in the bed. And his name was Donald Hubert Greer. And uh, when she got mad at him, she called him Hubert. <laughs> I know, I know. Y'all been to them marriage seminars where you never have a crossword. And all, they don't never invite me to do a marriage seminar in churches. 
Because I'll tell you the doggone truth. When you get married, the sparks are going to fly. I'll just tell you the doggone truth about it. A bad, usually you're going to marry somebody opposite of you, as a general rule. And if you take a battery, a car battery, it's got a positive pole and a negative pole, and those two poles should never meet. Because if they ever connect together, sparks are going to fly. And I'm just here to tell you. And you're really not going to know who you're married to till about three weeks later when the honeymoon's over. And you're going to say, oh my God. <laughs> now, I've been married 40 years, so you can relax. We survived it all. We still love one another. We still care for one another. I do anything I can for her. That woman has never wanted anything that she didn't get that was in my power. No, no it didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter. Because I tried to show my love to her. You know, if you want to catch a lady, I can tell you how to do it. <laughs> you, know, you know the way you catch a raccoon? They like shiny things. If you'll put something shiny in a trap, a, a, a raccoon will reach out and get, get him. And ladies like things that are shiny. And if you'll put it in a trap, you got them. My God, they're going to reach out and get it. <laughs> well, my wife's got that to the 10th power. You know what I mean? <laughs> So we've been married about 40 years, but, but the, the sparks, you know, have flown over the years. And, and that's the truth. Cause, but we learned to live in our environment, you know, and, and uh, love one another, regardless of what it was, regardless of what come our way. We just decided we was going to stay with it. So there, was, there was times way back yonder, it looked like it wasn't going to work, you know. Because the sparks got to flying so much, we were starting big forest fires. <laughs> But through the help of God and through His strength and through His ability, then it worked for us and everything went together. Amen? So that's why probably you'll never see me doing a marriage seminar. Because <laughs> they, they, I'll tell them the truth. You know? <laughs> because you're going to be different. If you think that you're going to get married and the other person is going to agree with everything you say, you are sadly mistaken. And so you have to learn to compromise. You have to learn, yeah, you do. That's what, that's what it is. Somewhere. Yeah, sometimes you think the compromise would be death, you know. <laughs> I'm telling the truth. But you come through it all. Thank God for that. So where'd y'all have me at before y'all took me way over there? Y'all remember? Your mouth, see there? Your mouth, you confess Jesus Christ your Lord, and with your heart, you say and believe that God is raising from the dead, and you will be saved. But I was driving down the road, remember, in Galveston, Texas. I had to get y'all back. Now, you come on back in here with me. And I knew if I turned left, I just had this, I don't know, a sense of darkness or foreboding. And I, I just knew that I knew. I can't tell you how I knew. It was a spiritual experience. If I turned left, I'd never come back. So instead of turning left, I turned right. At the moment that I turned right on Seawall Boulevard there in Galveston, Texas, the Spirit of God flooded that van I was in. At that time in my life, I thought the Bible was a fairy tale book that somebody wrote trying to make me be good. And I was in total rebellion against society, against all the laws of the land, and especially against the Word of God. But the moment I turned right, I made the right decision. God's power and anointing flooded that van that I was in. And I began to weep and cry. And I was hardened at that time. But I began to weep and cry. And I fell over in this steering wheel of this old Dodge van. And I got to where I couldn't see going down the road. So it was a lot of sand there on the island, you know. So I pulled over on the roadside out of the way of any cars that might come by. And I just fell over that van. And then I remember crying out. And I knew that it was God. I don't know how I knew that I knew, but I knew it was God. And I said, God, if you're really real like Mama said you was, and like Daddy said you was, I'll give my life to you. And I knew enough from coming up, you know, with Mama and Daddy, that I need to confess Jesus as my Lord. And I said, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I give my life to you. And, of course, the people that were in the band with me, I heard the door slam, 
on the side sliding door. It slid back in this old Dodge van. And they jumped out, slammed the door, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and they were running, the side view mirror, that is, and I seen them running down the road, and they were hollering, he's crazy. He's lost his mind. You know, and they were right. I had lost my mind, and now I had the mind of Christ. I'm talking about grace and God's love and God's mercy and faith. Now, one moment, I was a cheat, lying thief, low-down scandal, armed robber, but the very next moment, I was born again. Demons left me. In fact, I felt so light, it felt like I could fly. You seen them hot air balloons that just float up in the sky? That's what I felt like. It felt like, I don't know how to describe it, two or three thousand pounds that came off my shoulders. And the drudgery of sin just came off of me. And I began to cry out to God. And then from that place right there, talking about how by grace are you saved, it don't mean you go live like the devil once you're saved. Because the moment that I got saved, that's what we call our being born again, one and the same. The moment I got saved, I hated church, I hated God, I hated everybody else, but the moment I got saved, I wanted to pray, I wanted to find a Bible to read, and I wanted to go to church. I mean, it was just in me, inherent in me. I wanted to do that. And I wanted to be honest. For the first time in my life, I decided I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to knive anymore. And I actually got out of that van and walked up to a police officer that was sitting there, the Bobby, Mr. Lonnie. I got up, and he was writing on this pad in his car. Because back in those days, they didn't have all them computers like y'all got today, you know. But he was uh, writing on this pad doing something, you know. And so I tapped on his window, and it startled him. You could imagine me. I was all disheveled, you know, tears running down my cheeks and everything. And looking like a goon that walked up out of the ocean, you know. And so he rolled down the windows. This during the days of the roll-down windows. Y'all remember what them are? He still got one? He still got one? He rolled down the window and said, what is it? I said, sir, I, said, I just got saved. You might understand. I said, I'm on my third escape from prison. I don't want to die and go to hell. I want to turn myself in. He said, stand back. Stand back. <laughs> it's not often somebody walks up to a police officer and does that, you know. But it wasn't long that he jumped out of that car. He said, what's your name? <clears throat> what's the social security number, you know? So I gave him all that. And he, of course, said, spread eagle on the hood. Now, if you don't know how to do that, uh, we'll give lessons after church. Somebody will. I, I see some folks in here know how to do that. I can just tell you the truth about it. Spread eagle on the hood. You know, I, hands out, feet back in a vulnerable position, you know. And so he got on the radio because that's what he called them. They'd have a computer and he called me in. Of course, they could do a search here at the office and it wasn't long till he jumped out of that police car. He had his weapon drawn like he should have. And then all of a sudden I was wrapped up, tied up, tangled all up in chains. <laughs> There's a song called Wrapped Up, Tied Up, Tangled All Up in Jesus. I don't know if you know that. But he had me shackled, chained, and handcuffed. And I turned myself in. I pled guilty to all the charges that I had been charged with. I pled guilty. Even against my attorney's uh, device, they said that I was out of my mind. In fact, he told the judge in court, we've got a religious fanatic on our hands. My attorney. Yes, my attorney. A religious fanatic. He will not accept my counsel. He said, I told him that the normal protocol in a court of law is to plead not guilty. He said, but your honor, he told me that he couldn't do that because if he got up here and plead not guilty, that he would be lying and the Lord Jesus wouldn't help him. He's a religious fanatic. And he said, against my advice, he will enter his own plea. So he said, you enter your own plea. And I told him I'm guilty of all of them. And when they got to reading off them charges, I started to change my mind. (laughs) My God, I don't know if I want to go this far or not. You know, we just want to go part of the way. We didn't know we're going this far because what I was confessing to would give me life without the possibility of parole, never getting out of prison again. But do you know, over a series of, of several months, God began to work. And God began to work on people's hearts, judges' hearts, the system's hearts. And uh, there were some laws on, on the books that I didn't know anything about that where an individual is pleading guilty <clears throat> that fell under what you call the Habitual Offenders Act. The Habitual Offenders Act in the state of Alabama where that this uh, occurred at, that I wound up 
back at. I mean, this, I was in Texas, but they waived my rights of extradition. You don't know all that. Talk to our police officer. He'll, he'll help you with all this stuff. <laughs> but I waived my rights of extradition so I could just get it over with. Let, let's go. And they got me back to Alabama where some of these other crimes had been committed. And they was bringing all the crimes from other states and just bringing them all to one court. All the DAs and district attorneys agreed to that because they, they knew that I'd get life without parole. But there was a law in the books I didn't know about that if somebody is pleading guilty in this, in this particular state, all states are different, in this particular state, if you're pleading guilty to a crime, especially for life without parole, with no jury trial, and the judge is the one that sets the sentence, at the judge's discretion, he can set aside, if he chooses to, the Habitual Offenders Act, which would give you life without parole. God got a hold of that old Baptist boy's heart. Did I'm telling you, he did. Because I said I gave my testimony in court. He asked me to have anything I wanted to say. Don't ask me; I'll preach. <laughs> and I was very kind, but I told him the truth. I told him how I'd lied, I'd cheated, how I'd had opportunity after opportunity, and I had not taken advantage of it. Told him how I had a good mama and a good daddy. And stuff like that. They tried to help me. And I said, I was so rebellious. I said, nobody could help me. I said, but when I met Jesus in Galveston, Texas, the old judge had a tear coming down his eye. Right down the side, on his right side. He was just sitting there listening because he was mesmerized. You could hear a pin drop in the courtroom. Because I told the whole story. I told him about falling over that stairwell, and I told him things I, I, I hadn't shared with you. But by the time we got through, that judge set aside the Elabitual Fenders Act, which would have given me life without the possibility of parole. And I had to go back to prison, of course. And then they told me I'd be released in the month of none. <laughs> but I'm standing here, and I'm not on escape. Brother Lonnie, our resident police officer, they keep them around me to keep an eye on me. You know what I mean? They, they, they assigned him to me when I come in the door. Watch him, Brother Lonnie. Watch him. But he's been a, a big help. He's very gracious. And we appreciate him and thank God for him. But what I wanted to point out to you, when I got born again, I changed. I changed. My life wasn't the same anymore. I receive the grace of God, but receiving the grace of God don't mean you continue living like the devil. It doesn't mean that. So we're still on a side journey. Can we go to St. John chapter 3? You sure? Because like I said, I've been going hot and heavy on these demons and things like that. John chapter 3. I want you to know that God loves you. He'll do everything he can to help you. For John chapter 3, verse 16. You've been knowing this verse since you was knee-high to a grasshopper jumping ditches with soda crackers. Now, that's good country talk for city folks. Knee-high to a grasshopper jumping ditches with soda crackers. Y'all know what soda crackers are? Saltines? Yeah. Granny? Oh, she likes them with butter. Granny would give us them crackers and... Put us out in the yard, give us a pack of crackers. We thought we was in heaven. I'm telling you the truth about it. She'd, she'd be making that lye soap. This is, uh, I got a, a thingamajig package. My airplane, they got my parts messed up. Got my parts messed. It's supposed to be there at 8 o'clock this morning. It's still in Memphis somewhere. <laughs> it's critical to flight safety, we told them. They said, we don't care. <laughs> so we got Textron in on it. Textron. And we got them jumping and hopping. And they actually sent us another one. And if it don't come, I'm going to send Pastor Jerry to get it. Because <laughs> he's in Wichita where they're at. My God. We'll get it one way or the other. <laughs> so anyway, I apologize for that. I had it cut off, but that alarm goes regardless if my phone's off or not. You know what I mean? That's the way it does. But anyway, John 3.16. Let's see what it says. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world 
but that the world through him might be saved. Isn't that right? Isn't that what he said? For God so loved the world. He sent not his son in the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Isn't that right? Can I tell you some true life stories about the love of God? Let me tell you one about uh, Brother Hagin. Brother Hagin was called in to pray for this individual one time, this, this man. And this man, I believe it was, had cancer. And they wanted him to lay hands on him. And he, of course, he was bedridden at the point of death and uh, going to die without a miracle, basically what it was. Medical science couldn't help him at all. So he was lying there in the bed. And so Dad Hagin reached up to pray for him and lay his hand on him. And the Holy Ghost said to him, don't pray for his healing. And he said, well, Lord. He said, I always pray for people's healing. And you've healed a lot of people. He had a special anointing to minister to the sick. Special anointing. All of us can pray for him, but he had a special anointing. He said, Lord, what do you mean? He said, because he's going to die. Don't pray for his healing. He's going to die. And he said, Lord, well, why is that? He said, because... He got saved 32 years ago. 32. And he said, out of that 32 years, he's never lived right over two weeks at a time. And I've been extending my mercy and my mercy and my mercy. But this time, he said, he's in a good position to come on and be with me. And he said, but this is what I'm going to do. He said, don't pray for his healing. Just pray that he'll be filled with the Holy Ghost and his latter days will be better than his first days. So Brother Hagin prayed the way the Lord said. The guy was baptized in the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues and sang. He glorified God. But just a few days later, he died. That is the mercy and grace of God. 32 years. Now listen, don't try to break that man's record. I know some of y'all are thinking, how long I can get away with it? Don't try to break that man's record. But that's the love of God right there. That's God's love. For God so loved the world. He kept waiting on that man and waiting on that man, waiting on that man, waiting on that man, waiting on that man, waiting on that man. And then at the point of death, God said to Brother Hagin, he's going to die. Because he's never lived right over two weeks in 32 years. And all this time, over two weeks. I believe and pray that you've made it over two weeks. <laughs> that you've lived right at least three weeks, you know. <laughs> so don't be trying to break the man's record at all. Don't try to break anybody's record. Can I tell you about a fellow named Lewis Keith Greer? Can I tell you about him? That's my brother, my little brother. He's in heaven. I preached his funeral. Keith was kind of always, uh, in our family, he was kind of one of the tender-hearted of us all, you know. But somehow or another, he got to hanging around the wrong crowds, and, and we come from uh, a line of folks that knew how to make moonshine whiskey. You know, that was that's part of our extracurricular activities. <laughs> Moonshine. Y'all know what moonshine is? We might set up a steel here and put something together. <laughs> Cousins, uncles. You want me to leave it at that? Okay. Cousins, uncles, granddaddy on back end. My granddaddy finally got straightened out because my granny almost going to kill him, you know. You remember my granny? Pearly Ann, Nancy Jane, Emmeline, Carter Greer. She stood a tad over four foot, but she could beat the devil out of you with a frying pan. I'm just telling you the truth about it. And she wasn't scared of nothing. She is the meanest four-footer on this planet. I'll guarantee you right now. And my granddaddy was six foot nine. But she made him toe the line, buddy. <laughs> She'd get a plow line after him. You know what a plow line is? She'd get a plow line after him. Arthur Frank! I'm telling you, you ain't going to do that no more. You hear me, Arthur Frank? That was his name, granddaddy. You ain't going to do that no more. Pearly, she'd say, Pearly, 
I'm going to do what I want to. He said, yeah, and I'm going to kill you too. And she meant it. <laughs> I told you about my marriage seminars. You know what I mean? <laughs> and after a while, you know, they'd all settle down and everything. And any of us kids, you know, if we ever talk back to her, you know, you better not talk back to her. You better not. You did not. And if we happen to slip up and talk back by mistake, the first thing we'd do is took off running. But what she would do is she would run with a little short leg to the butter churn because it sat over there in the kitchen. That's usually where she stayed most of the time. And she'd get that old churning stick, she'd pull it up out of there, and she'd sling it. Wow! And she was pretty good with it, buddy. She could knock your feet out from under you with that old butter churn stick. So us kids, we learn the hard way. You're going to do what Granny said. So we was, uh, they tried to raise us right, you know. But my little brother, he kind of got to hanging around Uncle Bill. And in fact, if Uncle Bill would have known what ethanol was going to do, he'd be a billionaire today. He made more corn whiskey than the ethanol companies did. Because <laughs> that's all that stuff is, is alcohol. I don't know if you know that or not. Putting the pump in your mouth, but you read about it. They put an ingredient in there that you can't drink it. If you do, it'll make you sick, but it's alcohol. Is that why you farming? <laughs> Brother Brian, well, actually, he helps farmers, is what he does, you know, grow their crops and everything. But you know, now, what well, we got all these farmers around here, you know. But that's, my Uncle Bill would have known that because he was making corn whiskey years ago. And he always had him a, a little jug there sitting there, you know, of some kind of shine or something, you know, and he just had a dipper in it like you'd dip water, you know, a water dipper, you know, the handle on it, you remember them kind, the metal kind? And he'd just go by there and dip him up some and get him some, you know. And Uncle Bill plowed a mule, and uh, his name was Kate. And if he was sober, he couldn't plow, because Kate couldn't understand what he was saying. <laughs> he had to get what we call four sheets in the wind for the mule to understand what he was saying. You know? And I remember us kids, we'd go down there, and we'd help Uncle Bill. We, just, we had the goodest, greatest time, you know, growing up in the country. Uncle Bill would help him, come on out there. He would get out there, and he would be out of turn, turning plow. And what he'd done, he'd then learn to talk to that mule he could hang on to that plow back there with a turning plow on it. With one hand, he'd throw the, uh, the, the lines over his shoulders that guided the mule. He'd just talk to the mule where he wanted to go. G means go to right. Ah, Kate, means go to the left. Come up there, Kate, means stay in that row. I'm trying to train y'all how to be a mule. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he'd talk that mule down the end of that row. If he was breaking new ground, you know what new ground is. It had been plowed up before. If he's breaking new ground or had been sitting for a good while and he hung a stump, we'd hear him a hollering, hollering, Woo! Then hung hell, then hung hell. And us little boys, we'd run off or down across through the briar patch. We'd get on, Uncle Bill, what is it? He said, I hung hell, hung hell. He'd be staggering around, you know, and Katie would be sitting there with her ears doing like this, you know. <laughs> what do you mean be hung a stump that, that Kate couldn't get up? You know, just with her normal strength. So he always carried what he called a persuader in the back. What's this got to do with John 3.16? We might get there after a while. We'll get there. So he had carried a persuader, a two before. He'd done carved off the end and made him a handle. And he didn't abuse animals or anything like that, but he just believed he needed some kind of persuasion, make them think he's going to do something, you know. And he'd walk around there in front of Kate, and us boys would just stand there and watch Uncle Bill, you know. Uncle Bill, you need help? Nope. Let's get out of the way, boys. Get out of the way. So we get around, he'd walk around in front of Kate. You know, she'd have them blinders on, you know, the mules where they can't see this way, and they have the halter and the harness on and, and everything, and the chain, trace chains all back there and hooked up to the plow. And uh, he'd walk up there and he'd talk to Kate. He said, Kate, now me and you going to do something. Me and you are going to pull this stump up. And you see this two before right here, Kate? Her ears would do this like again.
are going to get this stump out of this ground. You hear me, Kate? And Kate be sitting there looking, eyes getting rolling back. And he had hollered at one of us boys, go down there at the fence line. That's the way Uncle Bill did. That's the way you knew he loved you if he hollered at you. <laughs> if he didn't holler at you, he didn't like you. <laughs> go down there, boys, and get me that axe. So we'd go down there and find the axe, and he'd come back. He'd throw them plow lines over there. He'd grab that thing. He'd say, cut up there, Kate. And Kate would come up and pull against that stuff. He'd hold there, Kate, whoop, and he'd hit that root. She'd fall back. He'd say, come up here, Kate, whoop, hit another root. I said, Uncle Bill, what you doing? He said, I've hung hell, and I'm pulling it up. I said, okay, okay, pull it up. Pull up hell, Uncle Bill. Mom would have washed our mouth out with soap if she heard me say the word hell. I'm telling you, Granny would have killed us on the spot. That's the way it used to be back in those days, you know. Yeah, that's the way it used to be back in those days, you know. So he would hit that thing several times. Hung hell, but you coming out of there. And old Kate would just be strained, straining against that harness that she was in. And her blood vessels would come to the top of her back and her muscles would be bristling down her legs. And she'd be pulling. She was a strong mule. Pulling with everything in it. And finally he'd find the last big root and whop it. And here it come. He said, I hung hell, boys, but I pulled it up. So you want to know why I told you the story. Listen, if you hang hell... Pull it up. Right. Don't sit around grumbling and griping about what you can't do <laughs> or anything else. So I told you about Uncle Bill to get back to Lewis Keith Greer. Remember? You thought I forgot about Keith, my brother. Keith, my brother, become attached to Uncle Bill. They become, as we'd say in the country, two peas in a pod. Does that work up here in Nebraska? I mean, they just hung around together, worked on old cars together. And, of course, that's my daddy's brother, you know, Uncle Bill. And him and daddy didn't see eye to eye, you know, because daddy had got saved. And, and he didn't make moonshine no more and everything like that. But Uncle Bill was, was a good man, you know. Even if he was drunk, he would, he would do anything he could for you. And he stayed drunk most of the time, you know. He was married to Aunt Lily Mae. Y'all remember? Y'all remember Aunt Lily Mae, don't you? I, I just say she was pretty large, and I don't say that way, but she had a lot to love. You know what I mean? She a lot to love. I, it's just the way you look at it. She had a lot to love, you know. You can love her big, you know, big. <laughs> so my little brother, Keith, got hanging around Uncle Bill. And so when he began to do that, then uh, he began to take on attributes and lifestyles and the character of Uncle Bill. He kind of idolized him, you know. And, and all the boys in the community like Uncle Bill because he had moonshine. So all the young boys, they'd be coming to Uncle Bill's house and in and out and all that stuff. And he didn't care because he didn't have to buy it. He didn't have to go down to the store and get it. He'd just give it to us, you know, because he sold a lot of it too. But all them young boys... He's getting even some customers, you know. <laughs> He's getting him trained for later in life where they could pay him for it. So my little brother started taking on his attributes and started to uh, live in like Uncle Bill did. And he started drinking excessively. Not a little bit, but a lot. And you drink a lot of moonshine, and sometimes you don't know all what's in that stuff, you know. Especially what Uncle Bill made. I mean, he can make moonshine almost out of anything. Not quite, but almost. He was known in our area for being able to do that. I mean, moonshine about any kind of stuff. He could get alcohol out of a lot of different products. And so my brother got hanging around him. He got to drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking. And, and, and my brother also was a very good carpenter. In fact, he actually had his own business Business where he could take and build custom houses for you. And people would hire him to do that. And he would build custom houses. He had a crew of guys that worked with him, about five guys, sometimes six. And they would build custom houses. But because of his lifestyle, he began to become independable and unreliable. And people would be paying him all this money, you know, to get stuff done. And then he might not show up for three days. Well, people don't like that. And even I don't like that. You know what I mean? And so what happened is he started getting further and further in this alcohol and 
depression and all this t- stuff. And I tried to help him. You know, I did. I, I tried to help him. I tried to talk to him. And uh, one time he actually pulled a gun on me, a rifle. He said he was going to shoot me. I, I didn't think he would. He might have, but I didn't think he would because he didn't want me to tell him about Jesus anymore. But uh, I said, well, if it would get you into heaven, I said, uh, you can go ahead and shoot me. And I said, if you'll receive Jesus at the same time. <laughs> and that really made him mad, my God. <laughs> it made him mad. And so he jumped in his old Dodge DeSoto with a push button. Y'all remember the Dodge DeSotos? I got any folks here remember them? With a push button on the dash. And took off down the road, you know. And that thing. But as he went on in life, and as he got on in life, his life started falling apart. And everything started going wrong and everything like that. And then uh, one day I get a phone call. And I'm at uh, Brother Hagin's meeting. In fact, Brother Hagin had called me. Dad Hagin, I called him. It's a term of endearment. Had called me in Augusta, Georgia. And uh, he said, I want you to speak here. I said, yes, sir. I said, I'd consider it an honor. And so I was getting ready in Augusta, Georgia, early in the morning to go over there and be in the meeting with Dad Hagen. And so when I was getting ready, all of a sudden I got a phone call, and it's from my mama, and she was hysterical. I mean, just beside herself, crying and squalling and carrying home. And... uh, said that they've taken Keith to the hospital and it looks like there's no hope for him and that he is going to uh, die. And I said, Mama, just calm down, calm down. And I thought, what am I going to do? You know. And so I called another brother of mine and he had already knew what was going on. And I said that uh, I'm going to call Dad Hagen and, and tell him what's going on and ask you know, for his permission to go. And uh, I said, I'm going to go to Florida where my brother's at. Because my mama needed help and the family needed help. So I called Dad Hagen and told him. He said, oh, sure, sure, go right ahead. He said, you need to do that? He said, I'd do the same thing for my brother. He said, you go right ahead. And so I took off, got my other brother, picked him up. You know, I had airplanes. My brother, other, oldest brother had airplane too. <clears throat> so we wound up down in Florida. It went in there, and it just looked rough, you know, like he ain't going to make it. And they had him on life support and all these kind of things, and I got in there and got to talk to him. And uh, he could squeeze my hand, you know, and communicate because it had that tube down his throat when it was helping him breathe or whatever it is, you know. So when I first got there, he could communicate. And so my most important goal was to make sure that he had made Jesus Lord of his life. So through a series of communications back and forth, I have found out that he had already confessed Jesus as his Lord prior to this event because he had no other hope. And what happened is he drank so much alcohol that it it, uh, burned out his esophagus and his stomach lining and he was bleeding to death from the inside. And there was little to nothing that they could do for them in that day. They didn't have all the reconstructive surgery like they got today. I mean, today they can do a lot of stuff. And so we talked to the doctor, and the doctor came in, my oldest brother and I, basically my oldest brother kind of took over, you know, and because everybody else is berserk. Talked to the doctor, said, is there any hope? He said, the only hope is to stop the bleeding because we got him on IV, just giving him blood bags of blood, you know. Because it's going out and coming out of the rectum and all that stuff, you know. And I'm not trying to be vulgar. I'm just telling you it's coming out. It's, it's the truth. And, and uh, he said that uh, the only way to stop the bleeding is to cauterize it. You know, go inside of him and take a, some kind of heat thing and uh, close off the vessel so they can't bleed anymore. They have to burn them. But if we do that, though, he'll never be able to eat again, nor will he be able to process food like we normally do as human beings through the stomach. He said he'll have to be on a tube and he'll have to give himself or somebody will have to feed him through a tube. And he said he might become an invalid. We don't know. Well, and they said, well, you need to make a decision about what you want to do because he's lying here and we don't know what's going to happen. And so I said to Ray, 
I said, let me go to a hotel and pray. I said, there's a hotel here close by the hospital. I just need to get away from everybody. So I took my other brother, when it was a preacher, I took him with me. And we got uh, in a room and it had two beds in it. He got down at one bed on his knees and I got down on another bed at my knees and we began to pray. He lifted up Keith, my brother, and I, I was specifically praying, saying, Lord, what do I do here? Because we've got the authority right now, the power, just to tell the doctor to pull life support, but I want to make sure that he's ready to go before we pull life support. So we prayed, and it took me about, I guess, 20 minutes or so, maybe 25, to really get in the spirit because I'd been encumbered with everything that I encountered when I got there. But I got into the spirit, and after about an hour of praying in other tongues, after I had prayed all I knew how to pray in English, all of a sudden I had this great deep sense that came on me. Then it just floated up, release him and let him go because he's ready to come and meet me. So I quit praying. I got up. I sat on the side of the bed. Well, when my brother heard, heard me quit praying, he quit praying. He got up and he said, what did the Lord say? I said, what did he say to you? He said, what did he say to you? I said, what did he say to you? None of us wanted to be first, you know. He said, well, I tell you. He said, I just kept sensing that we could release him and we could let him go. And everything's going to be all right. I said, that's the same thing I got. Let's go. So he went back to the hospital, went in, and my oldest brother seen me coming down the hall. He came out to meet me. He said, what did the Lord say? I said, Ray, I said, the Lord said he's ready to go. I said, let's pull the plug. I said, he's not going to get any better than where he's at right now. The Lord didn't choose to heal him. The Lord didn't choose to heal him. He didn't choose to heal that man laying in the bed that would have been disobedient, only lived right for two weeks. He didn't choose to heal him. But let me tell you this before you get sad. It sure beats going to hell. Sure beats going to hell. God did not do that to him at all. And in a sense, the devil didn't do it to him. He done it to his own self with his lifestyle and his actions. Isn't that right? And so there, we told him what it was, and the nurse, the RN that was in charge, the nurse, charge nurse that was on that floor, she said, you know, the doctor stepped out. She said, but I got his direct phone number, and he told me to call him, and he would give the paperwork based on what we wanted to do, either go into surgery or put him off life support. So she contacted the doctor, told him what he said. She'd come back in, and it wasn't long, 10 minutes, she was back talking to us and said, well, the doctor has got the paperwork coming, she said, it should be here uh, in just about three or four minutes, and then I will come in and ask y'all to step out of the room, and I'm going to take all the life support off of him. And she said, it will only be a matter of moments before he's gone. I'll have you come back in, you know. So anyway, she came in, like she said, and asked us to step out, and we did, into the hall. She closed the door and took all the life support stuff, IV stuff off of him and all that kind of things that they had, you know. And then she opened the door back up and, and, and said, come on in. And while we were standing there, you know, in about three to five minutes, all of a sudden he took his last breath. And the moment he took his last breath, the 23rd Psalm began to come out of me and I began to quote the word of God. And we know that Keith had just went up and went to heaven. That is the love of God in action. Because I can tell you, my little brother did not serve God at all on this earth that I know of. He might have slipped something in that I didn't know. But he didn't serve God. It was the mercy and grace of God that got him over to the other side. What time is it? My God. What time is it? Five after eight. Is that good or bad? All right. You want to step off into something, go back to something else that's a little different than this now God loves you you understand that he's not trying to keep you out of heaven he wants you to go there he's going to do everything he can in fact he may have to drag you in kicking and screaming that's how much he loves you so know that but I want to talk to you about something in closing but you know how my closes are I get one you know I'm going to try to close but y'all keep dragging me out you know turn to Acts chapter 19 
I want to talk to you about, does the devil know that you've got authority over him? Does the devil know? So, we've been talking about our, you know, how the operations of demons and devils are. Are you excited? Amen. You believe you're going to heaven? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. You want me to get up a load tonight? <laughs> no? You've you got to get ready to go. There's much to do here on earth first. Let's, Acts chapter 19. We're going to talk about this. You know, we're talking about seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. We've got authority over the devil. We're talking about the operations of the devil, how he operates. Not everything, but some in this meeting. But I want to take that side journey first to show you that God does love people. And God will work with people. And God's not against you. He's for you. He's on your side. He'll do everything he can to help you if you'll just work with him just a little bit. Like my brother. My brother just worked with him just a tad, I'll guarantee you. And I know it's because my mama's prayers and my daddy's prayers and my prayers and brother's prayers and sister's prayers that my brother made it in. But thank God that he did. But does the devil know that you've got authority over him? Acts chapter 19, verse number 11. It says, And God wrought, or you could say worked, special miracles by what? By the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought into the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. What happened? God worked miracles through the hands of Paul. Who worked the miracles? God did. Not Paul, but God did. And then also from his body, undoubtedly he had some kind of handkerchiefs on him or some kind of cloth or some kind of robe or something. And they could take pieces of that cloth and they could take it to people that was not in Paul's presence and that anointing would be in that cloth and it would cause the healing power of God to flow into that person's body if they needed healing and they would be healed. Or if they had demons, the demons would leave their body. Do you see that? That's right here in this scripture. And then it says here, that certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you, or we command you, by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. In other words, they saw Paul doing something, and now they were going to attempt the same thing. It says, And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. These seven young men. And the evil spirit, he had commanded this evil spirit to come out of this man. And the evil spirit answered and talked through that man's vocal cords that was demon-possessed and said this. He said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? In other words, what is this denoting right here? And what is this showing us? He knew that Jesus had authority over him, these demons. He knew that Paul had authority over him. But he also knew that they did not have authority over them. And they could not make him do anything that he did not want to do. You see that? It's right here in the scriptures. It says, the man in whom the evil spirit was, he empowered this man supernaturally, this demon did. He leaped on them, he overcame them, and prevailed against them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I've always said this, it needs to be said again. This is the first recorded event of streaking in history. It's right here. They ran out of that house, what? Naked. You know what that means? No clothes on. Naked. Isn't that right? Mary was washing the dishes. And here they come running down the road. And Ethel was there helping her, you know. And the, and the window, you could see out the window. And Mary saw the guys coming down the road naked with no clothes on running from that demon-possessed man. And she, Mary turned to her and said, Don't look, Ethel! <laughs> now that'll date you right there. Anybody remember that? Don't look, Ethel! <laughs> but Mary was a-looking, you know. <laughs> Don't look, Ethel. Seven men running down the road with no clothes on. That was a sight, wasn't it? The three things that the devil wants to do to every human being on this planet is found right here. 
It's in this verse. Verse 16. It says, the man in whom the evil spirit was, number one, the devil wants to leap on you. Number two, he wants to overcome you. And number three, he wants to prevail against you. But guess what? If you know who you are in Christ and you have been born again, the devil has no authority over you. He said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Isn't that right? So if you are in Christ, you have the authority to cast out devils. Paul was in Christ, but these seven sons of Sceva were not in Christ. It wasn't Paul doing it of his own strength and ability. It's because Christ had delegated to him the authority to cast out those devils, and he did supernaturally. So the devil does know who has authority over him and who does not. He does. And so we see here from this passage of Scripture that they were successful. Paul was successful. Jesus was successful. And I'll tell you this, uh, you will be successful if you're born again and you can put the devil in his place every single time. And the Bible, you can read through the uh, uh, New Testament and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you'll, have, you'll read about accounts periodically that where Jesus came into the presence of demons, demon-possessed people, the demons would fall down before him or cry out to some way. Remember, he was, in the, uh, he was over in the, a city and he was preaching in the synagogue and the man cried out to him. He said, if you come to torment us before our time. You know what I mean? Well, the demons would fall down before him. I have, under great anointings, I've been able to walk down the halls of institutions. And if demon-possessed people that were demon-possessed would fall down in the floor and writhe and writhe. I was preaching one time down in San Antonio, Texas. Reverend Doug Jones was there. He was preaching in the morning, teaching in the morning, and I was preaching at night. And that night, I was preaching on casting out devils or something, you know. That was a lot of what I did back in that day. It's changed some since then, you know, quite a bit, in fact. But anyway, I was preaching on how to cast out devils and stuff like that. And it was pretty full, about 800 people there. And so it was kind of, you know, people were shouted and excited and all that kind of stuff because I was more in the evangelistic office in that time. And so at the time, then when it was over, I, I gave an altar call. And I had them bow their heads, you know. And I had them bow their heads for prayer and everything and wanting to know if they wanted to be born again. And all of a sudden, there was a blood-curdling scream in the very back of the auditorium on the left. Not to the very side, but in one of the sections, because it's several sections on the side. And uh, I had called an altar call for salvation. If you hadn't ever been saved. And there was a few that raised their hand. Just a few, you know. Maybe six or seven out of 800 people, you know. So, you, you know, you assume that everybody else is saved, but that don't mean they are. So anyway, this lady let out this blood-curdling scream, and then she writhed out and fell down in the aisle of, of the church. And when she did, she started writhing just like a snake. Just like a snake, but her body was contorting supernaturally. Well, Reverend Doug Jones was there. He jumped up in the chair so he could see what was going on. And he said, my God, Randy, what you done now? Because he's on the front row. I said, I ain't done anything. But when that lady come writhing down the aisle, demon possessed, hissing like a snake would hiss, you know, hissing just like a snake, and she's writhing down there. She was from over yonder in the island somewhere, Philippines or something, been into that voodoo, witchcraft, hoodoo and voodoo homebrew, all that kind of stuff, you know. She'd been in it. And she come riding down that aisle. I'm here to tell you, I didn't have to give another altar call. Every sinner in that building, whoo, they come running down to the front to get away from that lady. Had about 40 people come for salvation then. And the Lord said something to me, because I didn't know if he wanted me to cast it out. Now, you got to be led by the Spirit. He said, don't let that demon disrupt this service anymore. Command it to shut up and stop and have the ushers escort her to a room. Then you can deal with her later because we want to get people born again. Then we'll deal with her. And I told the audience, audience, don't you understand this, but just follow along here. So I said to that demon, I said, I command you in the name of Jesus to shut up and stop right now and be quiet. And she lay there. I said to some of the ushers, I said, get her. I said, willing or unwilling? And I said, take her 
to a prayer room. And I said, after service, then I said, I'll come and I'll minister to her. So they got her, got her out of there, and then we had an altar call for salvation. We had about 40 or 50, and then the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I think everybody in the church <laughs> started speaking in tongues. My God, they saw. I mean, you didn't have to wonder if the devil was real or not, because that devil was real, and everybody knew that this was something that was beyond anything they'd ever seen before. And so after the service, I was able to go back with the pastor's wife and other ladies. I didn't go by myself, you know, and, and ushers too. And I began to talk to her and found out that this lady had been involved in witchcraft, the occult, and she'd come out of the Philippines somewhere over in the islands over there. And that don't mean everybody in the Philippines is bad. Don't get me wrong. But uh, she'd come out of there with all this witchcraft and curious arts and what they call black magic and all that kind of stuff. And her parents had raised her that way. And that's how these demons had gotten into her. But over the matter, it probably took about an hour or so. Because I first had to talk to and find out who's the commanding, controlling demon. And then how many were in there. You know, the man that Jesus ministered to, there was a legion in there. Only one possessed him, but the legion was in there. But the lady got set free. Thank God for that. And her life turned around. So the devil knew I had authority over him. And the devil knows that you've got authority over him. But you can't be afraid of the devil. You've got to stand on the truth of God's word. So I want us to do something. I want you to stand to your feet right there where you're at. And I want us to take authority over the powers of darkness right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer about this. And it will show you how that you can make these harassing spirits leave you alone. That harass you and attack your mind and attack your body. Show you how you can do it. Just, just close your eyes and repeat this after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. I confess you as my Lord, and I believe in my heart that you've risen from the dead. I submit my life I consecrate and dedicate my life to you. It is written, whatever I bind on earth is bound in heaven. So right now, I bind every harassing spirit that's trying to come against me or my family or anything that I have. And I command you, take your hands off of it, loose it, and let it go right now in the name of Jesus. I command you to go in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the angels of God. And I thank you that they'll assist me in my life to be everything that you desire for me to be. And in advance, I'll be careful to give you the glory the honor and praise for it all. You've got victory right now. Amen. I said you got the victory right now. I said you got the victory right now. You got the victory right now. You may be seated. Ooh, do you have the victory? Come on. Praise God. Thank God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, keep proclaiming you've got that victory because there 